0: Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go: to practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season.
2: That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill.
0: Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. <laughs> oh, baby. Welcome in, Steve Geller, along with Jeff Nowak. We are Inside Black and Gold and Game Week, fellas. We get to get going. Saints versus Titans, week one, Sunday in the Caesar Superdome. Ain't nothing better than the real thing yeah thank goodness
3: I, I was just thinking this morning it's like the preseason is so weird because you you spend so much time talking about the actual games to the point that they kind of don't seem real and then, and then all of a sudden it's like oh they're here i guess we should this this the rubber meets the road now is it actually going to work out and so yeah first things first i do want to mention we're i'm going out of town for the weekends so we are recording this a little early so if anything we say in this episode sounds like well that's weird that, that didn't reflect what happened on Sunday, just so you know. It, it won't. Um, but they didn't practice Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So uh, the whole majority of this should stay the same. We're going to take this first segment. We're going to talk about some injury news, some surgery, some all that that we got into over the last couple of days. Then the second segment, I want to talk mostly about wide receivers. I got a chance to sit down with Keith Kirkwood and have a great conversation. It's a really – he's a cool story, like whether you – know much about him or not Uh, and he's really just a great guy so I want to spend some time talking about Keith and what his role might be and then the final segment I want to get way into special teams we got into the kicker punter situation in the last episode but I want to dive a bit more into it and I want to talk more about Gunner's role situational stuff on special teams but first things first let's get into it Jeff Duncan from NOAA.com reported on Friday Traquan Smith he has undergone surgery to repair that Groin issue. I don't know if it was a hernia or anything to that extent, but either way, he went, he had surgery done. So, to answer the question, where has Traquan Smith been? It seems like he fell off the face of the earth. He was under the knife. That's what happened. Um, you know, I don't know if he's going to end up on IR. I don't know what the plans are for him, but he seems to be inevitable and eternal. So I'm not sure. The question you have to answer now is, do you put him on IR? Do you kind of wait for him to come back? It sounds like he's going to miss week one either way. And if that's the case, it'll be the third consecutive season (laughs) that he has missed week one with an injury, which is uh, suboptimal, as the kids say.
0: Dennis Allen mentioned the other day, though, he didn't expect anybody to go to injured reserve, right? He didn't say that per se. Kind of danced around it. He basically said he was asked if there are any
3: plans to put people on injured reserve as of this moment. And he said, no, he didn't say there won't be now they have the option to put people on injured reserve as of, you know, Thursday, right? So it might've been Wednesday even. So they the, like not doing it immediately is an indicator that, you know, maybe they won't at all. Uh, again, that's one of those things that, If someone gets put on injured reserve over the weekend and we don't know about it as of this podcast, we apologize, but Hey, we get a couple days. So we're going to take them. And so, you know, I still think that there's a a decent likelihood that a guy like Landon Young goes on IR, even a Traquan, the 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 recovery timeline for the type of surgery he had is going to be three to six weeks. So if he had it midway through camp, which it sounds like he did then, you know, maybe you're only talking about two weeks. I don't know either way. I, I as frustrating as it is to keep, see him stay around. Like, My issue with him has never been production. A lot of people complain he doesn't do enough. I think he does plenty in an underappreciated role that he has. And that just annoys people because they don't see the production on a daily basis. But my issue has been health. And if he's not able to stay healthy and you can't trust him to be on the field, I don't know. And so I'm hoping that the plan is to put him on IR because otherwise it would just annoy me. To see someone just stick around constantly, even though he's just never healthy. Um, but that's just that's
0: something that you're going to have to watch over the next few weeks. I think during some of our live chats last year, we had Traquan joining in, right? I think it was a it was fake Quan <laughs> Smith. Um, yeah, Quan yeah, Smith. I mean, Smith was definitely healthier than regular Traquan. Yeah, yeah, he
3: was. Uh, and, and that's again, that's my thing. It's like I don't. I, I actually think what Traquan does on the field is more than acceptable. Like I don't have any issue with them saving his roster spot, but man, he can't stay healthy. It's, it's tough. Like
0: hey, what's, that's- what, what's frustrating too, is I think, you know, a lot of people saw those, what was it? Two, three days he had put together at training camp that were suddenly eye popping, really impressive. And then boom, he gone, we never saw him again. Yeah, right. Well, it's like, yeah, I did enough. Uh, and so, that's what do, right. It's like, Oh, they are just trying to save him, kind of thing.
3: Yeah, the, the good news is that the, the other guy who went out with a groin injury basically at the same time on the same day and also missed a good chunk of time was Rashid Shaheed, And he's back now. Mike Thomas is back or Mike Thomas is healthy. He has not had any issues health wise. Knock on wood. Like that's a great sign for him. Um, you know, Chris Olave is still doing Chris Olave things. And as we mentioned, they have Keith Kirkwood on the roster. So, you know, and A.T. Perry obviously made the roster. Um, so it's really hard to complain about what we've seen out of that wide receiver room, right? Like if you, you might be missing one piece, but I think the pieces they have that look healthy right now,
0: uh, I do feel like you're in really good shape. Yeah. The thing I think, uh, I think a th- uh, it's going to be big to see what happens now going forward uh, with Rashid Shahid, just because we haven't seen so much of him during camp. You got to worry about that timing now with Derek Carr? Are they going to be able to get on the same page in time? Uh, will he get off to a slow start the season because he doesn't have that kind of chemistry already built up kind of deal? Yeah, I was able to talk
3: to him in the locker room this week. He, You know, I asked him that question. Like, do you think, you know, the, the missed time with a new quarterback is going to be a factor? You know, he's upbeat. He's never going to point to anything and say like, this isn't, this is an excuse for me. Right. Like, and he says, he doesn't see it as an issue. Um, He's been working in the slot. He feels like he's gotten enough reps, you know, and and it's easy to forget he was there for all throughout all of OTAs working with Derek Carr. He was there the first few weeks of camp. He's got, you know, uh, reps under his belt. Um, And he says, you know, he's up in the slot last year. I don't, I don't even know if people realize this. He didn't play the slot. He played, he was X, he played the X exclusively. And that was part of the reason that, it was difficult to get him on the field as often as people might like because his 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 role in the offense was limited based on the install that he had done this year he has installed at multiple positions you know remember last year he didn't have camp to 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 do that and this year he's been working more in the slot so he can do multiple things right like he can move around a lot more and that'll be make it a le- lot easier to get him on the field um, but he's still going to be your return man right like he's still going to be able to do that um, and so that's going to be that's going to be something. One thing that we we didn't talk about yet on the pod uh, is the practice squad, right? Guys like Shaq Davis got kept around. You know, we've seen the last couple days of, of last week. You had some running back shuffling, which was kind of weird. The Saints initially had signed Ty Summers and Ellis Merriweather, and then there was some kind of weird reporting, right? Like uh, Mike Cliss out in Denver reported that the Saints had signed Tony Jones. Well, when the Saints announced their practice squad. Tony Jones wasn't on it. John Hendricks reported that the Saints had signed Jordan Mims, who was a running back from Buffalo, who played with Jake Hayner at Fresno state the last three years. Well, when the Saints announced their practice squad, he wasn't on it, which it's kind of strange. And then the next day, you know what you have Tony Jones, Jr. And Jordan Mims at practice and Ellis Merriweather, the UDFA that everyone's a big fan of (laughs) and Ty Summers got cut. And so, I I don't know. It's kind of strange. I I don't know why, why you would do that. Sometimes it feels like these practice squad positions are written on or contracts are written on tissue paper. Cause it's like, I mean, what, what, one day my working theory is you have these positions that you intend to open up. Right. And you wanted to get the bills guy to come down here from Buffalo, the Broncos guy to come over here from Denver Because you know that Ellis and Ty aren't going anywhere. (laughs) They're here already. And so you just needed you needed to sign them to get them here so that you could adjust. Because I I think it it wouldn't work if you went the other way where you signed those two guys and then cut them to bring back your other guys as they wait. You know, so I don't I don't know. It's it's kind of strange. But either way. We also uh, got word though too about Kendry Miller and a hamstring issue. Yes. Yes. And so that's why I think you ended up bringing in Tony Jones. Absolutely. Right. Cause, and I've said this, it's, it's tough to trust a rookie in his first career game, especially a UDFA. So if you're looking at Ellis Merriweather and you're thinking, man, okay, maybe he's going to get this huge role behind Jamal Williams. I think what you're seeing is, you know, maybe that's not what the team wants to do. Right. And so you have Tony, a guy who not only has worked here before, he's been in this system before the coaches know him. He's also been installing out in Denver all offseason, which is the same offense. It's Sean Payton's offense. That's what the Saints are running. So it just makes sense that if you need a guy to kind of step into a role, you, you, you want him to be someone you're a little bit more comfortable with protecting your, you know, franchise quarterback in week one uh, alongside Jamal Williams. So, you know, if, if Kendra is unable to go, I expect to see a huge workload for Jamal Williams. It might like if Kendra can't go week one, that alone might justify your draft pick of my Jamal Williams in fantasy.
0: Cause he's going to have a huge workload. <laughs> I, I'm hoping that's the case for just fantasy wise, but man, it's really concerning. Obviously Kendra Miller, has dealt with some things uh, this offseason. And uh, for this to pop up, too, now with the hamstring. Also, Kirk Merritt, another back in, in the uh, the rotation that's dealing with hamstring issues. Uh, He's healthy now, though. That, the depth at running back is a little concerning, I think. I yeah. mean, and, and what we saw in the preseason from the running game wasn't really impressive. And I know that a lot of it was backup offensive linemen, too, in there. Yeah, and not Camara. Right, so like right, you saw
3: exactly. Alvin, or, or even Jamal. Right, I mean, it was the, the unimpressive part of the run game was with your third string running back or fourth string running back going behind backup. So that's why I'm not, right. so that's why I'm like, not re- overreacting, right? Right, I'm not overreacting to the run game, um, at this point, but you won't have Alvin week one, two, and three. So do you, you, you kind of hope that can be better? Um, but yeah, Kirk, I, I always forget about Kirk, but yeah, he made the roster. We talked about him in the last episode. It's really cool to see him make the roster. He's still, you know, unless they changed in the last couple of days, he's still listed as a wide receiver on their official depth chart online or not their official depth chart, but their official roster online. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's cool. And, you know, we see this every year. DA is just a sucker for guys who can play multiple positions. I don't know what it is. If you can play multiple positions, your chances of making this roster skyrocket. Like, oh, oh, Juwan, you, you're a wide receiver. Yeah. Oh, you're you're a wide receiver, but you're a tight end now. Oh, money, right? Oh, PJ, you're a corner. Oh, but, oh PJ, you're a corner and a safety now. Got it, right? Oh, we were going to draft a center, but oh, that center can also play guard. Oh, let's do it. You know, it's just very funny to me. Lonnie Johnson's another good example. Tyron Matthew feels like he can play any defensive back position if you needed him to. It's just like when you're looking – you know, as we go forward, as long as DA is the coach of this football team, <laughs> if you're trying to figure out who's going to make the roster over somebody else, always start with the test of how many positions can this guy play? Because <laughs> odds are he's going to be that. If he's a star on special teams, big, big leg up. If he's a running back slash wide receiver, big leg up. If he's a center slash guard, big leg up. If he's a left tackle who can also play guard, James Hurst, Big leg up. It is not a coincidence that you are seeing this happen year in, year out. And, you know, Kirk, it, you know, I don't know what the discussions were in terms of, hey, Kirk, we're going to make you into a running back now. But I don't think every player would have been amenable to that, right? Like, I I think that is a tough thing when you've been playing this position. Granted, he was a running back at Destrahan. He was a really good one. So it's not as crazy of a transition As maybe a Jawan Johnson who's been playing wide receiver his whole life. And suddenly they're like, now you're a tight end now or a Taysom Hill who's been playing quarterback his whole life. And now it's like, Oh, you're something now we can't tell you what it is, but you're something. So for him to do that and to do it well is cool. And I think he's a guy who could be a weapon at points. You know, I don't think he's necessarily ready right now, but he will be a special teams guy. And, uh, and he's, he's as athletic as they come. That guy's built like a truck. So, yeah. We, was he back this week at practice Yeah. or no? Okay. Yeah. He's been back. And I mean, I think him making the roster is a pretty good indicator that they were a lot more confident in him than I realized, right? Like I think if you go around the roster projections, you won't find him on them because I think he got hurt and kind of fell off people's radar. But the fact that they kept him around despite being hurt means that they had a very high opinion of him. Cause like he, he didn't do anything to make the roster, you know, in terms of those last few preseason games, he really, I mean, he was there against the chargers. He got hurt. He didn't play against the Texans. And so he, he wasn't playing to make the roster. They already had him on there. Uh, So that's a, that's a good sign for him uh, going forward.
0: Yeah. That whole running back room is a little bit of a mess just with the news about Miller, obviously. And like you said, we, we already know we don't have Camara week one, two or three. And yeah, I, I just it's going to be the the
3: question that we've been asking all offseason. And we're finally going to get an answer in a week's time is, OK, how exactly how much damage do you have to your offense and your efficiency without Alvin in there? Because I know that there's going to be some that you're not going to be operating at your top level without your best player in my opinion on this current roster whether whatever madden says i don't care he's your best he's the best player the best offensive player on this roster and you're not gonna have him so you're gonna have to make do with what you have um and if that's the reason you start zero and three then that is a huge blow to your season if you're able to go two and one even without him then that's you know then you survived it one and two that's tough, but as long as you beat the Panthers in week two, I can live with it. If you go 0-3, then that's a recipe for a torpedoed season, um, and and you're just climbing uphill the whole way, and it's the exact same story that we've watched the last two years. Um, at least, you know, it, it not the exact same story, but it was, the, it was the story you saw last year, and they were climbing uphill the whole way, and they eventually, you know, the boulder rolled back down on them, it, 2021, they started well, but then they lost five straight. So those last four weeks, you were climbing uphill, climbing uphill, and then a boulder shaped like a giant ram rolled back down on them, and they missed the playoffs. And so I just want to see them get off to a hot start, uh, and that's what makes it
0: frustrating. But I don't think I, missing Alvin's going to be that key determiner, though, about how things go in weeks one, two, three. Missing him, obviously, you 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 got a big punch from that offense gone, but there's still a ton of weapons around. We know that. I'd like to think that. And I'd like to think that this is a good time to be without him in the sense that
3: people should be healthy. We asked Dennis Allen about Kendra. If he was in danger of missing week one. And he said, we'll find out next week. Um, Injury
0: report on Wednesday.
3: Yeah. And he is, uh, he is very happy to, to be able to start giving us an injury report instead of getting asked about every individual absence from practice. One guy who has missed a couple practices, then that's going to be interesting. If it does affect his status week one is, is James Winston. He has a wrist injury that he got in the, in the, in the finale against the Texans, which he didn't play that much. Um, and that might explain why he came out after one quarter. Whereas I, in previously we had seen him play the whole first half. Um, this time we saw Jake Haner play three quarters, which is kind of a weird amount of time to play. And so, if he can't go, you know, is is J- Jake going to be the guy? I imagine. I imagine he is. Uh, but yeah, that'll be you know. And I just you, you do wonder. It's like if he does miss a couple weeks, suddenly Jane Jake is preparing as the backup anyway. Does he end up losing that job? I, I don't know, but that's something to watch. That be um, messed up. James has had such terrible luck all overall. Yes. The thing. and he's he's been bypassed while he's been hurt before. Around, he's been a good sport about it, but yeah, that would be kind of a that would be kind of a another uh, needle, yeah, that'd be kind of a nut punch. I think would be a fair way to describe it. <laughs> like, all right, guys, just I'm just gonna go, <laughs> just gonna give like an Irish goodbye. <laughs> like, you guys clearly don't want me, um,
0: but, but yeah, anyway, the uh, the, the thing with Hayner, too, obviously. You know, he had kind of a, a down outing that last time out. So it wasn't like he was expected to take over this number two role if that were the case, you know, week one, obviously. No, if there was any – any if you were
3: harboring any delusion that he was going to win that job out of out of the preseason, it was dispelled in in the fourth quarter of that game. Um, Plus, Lucas
0: I, Kroll's gone, so we can't throw to him.
3: Yeah, I guess that's something we, we could mention is Lucas Kroll went out to Denver. I had a couple people ask me, like, well, why – why didn't the saints sign into their practice squad? And I'm like, I bet you they tried, right. but you know, in certain instances, it just doesn't make sense. Like the player also has to sign you. It's not like a waiver claim where if you claim someone on waivers, they have to come. They don't have a choice. He cleared waivers and then went to sign with Denver. And it's like the saints could have said, Hey, we want you on our practice squad. And he could have said, you just kept a 36 year old on the roster over me. Why would I stay here? There's clearly no opportunity for me here. even, Next year, you're still gonna have Jawan and Foster and who knows about Jimmy, right? I imagine he's a one he's a one season guy. When am I gonna get a chance if I'm if I'm Lucas Kroll, right? So he goes out to Denver where he's competing with Greg Dolchich and Adam Troutman. Like, I think he's got a chance. Like Chris Manhurts. Like no one, I think Nate Atkins is another one. No one on that roster is screaming, like, oh, we can't give any opportunities to Lucas Kroll, because how are we gonna take that guy off the field? Right. So that's why you end up with with him in denver where he's working with adam Troutman, who he was a teammate with last year his tight ends coach is declan doyle who is a position or was an assistant for the saints last year and is now the tight ends coach with the broncos so he knows him very well and then obviously sean sean payton is there which is funny because you can't even say they he rejoined sean payton because they were sean was never his coach (laughs) but it is the same offense. So he's going to a very familiar situation. The terminology is going to be very similar. He's going to be able to get up to speed a lot faster. So I understand why he went out there and it's not a case of like, Oh, the saints just said, eh, screw it. This guy's no good. Anyway, he's, he's not on the practice squad.
0: It's just the Denver Broncos and the Carolina Panthers trying to become the saints. Yes. Calvin Throckmorton did get claimed. Right. Uh, I was like, man, we even lost uh, some O-line depth there to the enemy.
3: Yeah. And that one makes sense. That one makes a lot of sense to me too. Like both of these make sense. That one makes sense because if you're the Panthers and you're like, we just need depth, you know, people can talk all they want about Calvin Throckmorton. And like, I don't, I don't want to see him starting either, but it's not very often you find someone on waivers. Cause remember it's only young players. It's only guys in the first four years of their career. It's not often you find guys on waivers with 20 starts to their credit who's 27 years old he's he's not like he's like over the hill right he's 27 years old and a good chunk of that work came with Andy Dalton who is the Panthers backup quarterback so I mean it, in in that sense it makes a whole lot of sense and then so and the guys who did end up on the practice squad you know we got they got Jack Davis back right they got Ellis Merriweather back but then he got waived you know so uh, the, uh... I don't think the uh human wrecker of Nico Lalos is back. And Jalen Smith. Yes. Um, so I mean, I think the, you know that you, you aren't you aren't yeah, the second you brought in Jimmy Graham and decided to give him a roster spot, you you sent Lucas Krull away. Yeah, I guess is like that's kind of the 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 payoff that you get. Hopefully Jimmy Graham justifies that. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's it in terms of kind of the news that we need to hit here, unless there's something else you're thinking of.
0: No, we had kind of speculated to a crow. Oh, maybe Pittsburgh, but apparently uh, Kenny Pickett does not care.
3: Everyone keeps he- saying, actually, I'm sorry. Bobby keeps saying that. And it was funny because we talked about this on the last episode. And then when I was on with you guys the other day, he brought that up and I was just, God damn. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. He was high on that reunion. Yeah. I, I, uh, I never, I never really understood it. Uh, like I get the idea, but I, like, like, I don't know. It's it, it's a little too on the nose, I think.
0: I guess everybody thinks about hey, like it worked for you know Burrow and Jamar Chase. Yes, yes. <laughs> Lucas Kroll is is the Jamar
3: Chase in this scenario. Yeah, that, that's a. I mean, I guess if you're if you're doing it relative, where Kenny Pickett relative to Joe Burrow is about the same difference <laughs> as Jamar Chase to Lucas Croll. I mean, in terms of talent level, because Kenny Pickett sucks. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that take until like until I can't anymore. I do not think Kenny Pickett is good. I keep hearing about how Kenny Pickett is good. Where? What? Show me the evidence with his like eight
0: touchdown passes last year. Give me a break. I'm more not convinced in his offensive coordinator than him. him so Joe Brady. Oh yeah. no no. Uh, uh, what's his name?
3: Matt Canada. Oh, it's Canada. That's right. Joe Brady. I, I, I always get those two mixed up. They're just a couple of
0: bald dudes. You know, I don't even know where Joe Brady is now. He was like going so far up the coaching ladder and I can't even tell you where he is now. Is it Buffalo? He's a QB. He has the QB's coach for Buffalo. Okay. I always get him and him
3: and uh, Matt Canada mixed up because they're just two guys who used to coach for LSU and, <laughs> and Jake Pete's and you know they're all, they're all the same. But all right, let's wrap up that segment. We're gonna come back and I wanna I wanna have a Kirk Keith Kirkwood Love Fest. A Kirk Keithwood Love Fest, because I got a chance to talk to him this week and we have an interview that I wanna play. So stick around for that on Inside Black and Gold. back on Inside Black and Gold. We're gearing up for Week 1 Saints-Titans, September 10th. I'll be on the sideline for that. It'll be a good time. It'll be at the Caesars Superdome. Hopefully, the Saints win an opener for once in their lives. One guy who I expect to be on the field, the guy who caught the first touchdown pass, quote-unquote, from Derek Carr in the Superdome, is Keith Kirkwood, a guy who, you know, we've known for a long time. I, I was talking to him, and I asked him, and I was like, you remember... You know, that game where Drew Brees threw four touchdown passes to undrafted players. And he was like, oh, yeah, that was my first touchdown. It was on Thanksgiving, I believe it was. I can't remember if it was on Thanksgiving, but it was against the Falcons. And I asked him if he remembered the other three players who caught touchdowns in that game. And he he just listed them off like he knew it. He didn't have to think about it. He was like, yeah, Tommy Lewis, Dan Arnold, uh, uh, Austin Carr money. And I was like, okay, so this means a lot to you. And he's like, yes. And you know, he's a guy who's been in the NFL for six years. He has never made a 53 man roster out of camp. Um, And, and this year he did. And I just think it's really cool. Like it's, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you should pick up Keith Kirkwood in fantasy. Right. Although I do expect, I think I would say that there is going to be a point this year where Keith Kirkwood has a day or two Where if you had him in fantasy, if you were like desperate and you're like, fine, I'll take a dart, throw at Keith Kirkwood, he might reward you with like a two touchdown game. Because I think he is going to be a piece of this offense. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But I'm not going to try to convince you he's going to have a monster year. It's just every every good NFL team, every team that makes a run of the postseason, it makes a run to the Super Bowl. They have players like Keith Kirkwood who make an impact that is underappreciated. It won't be remembered five years from now, but in the course of the season is hugely important. And I feel like he's that guy for the saints this year. And I mean, you talk talked to him. He's just a great guy. Like there are players that you root for, whether or not you think they're star players or not, you want good things to happen to them because they're good people and they're good and they work really hard. And to me, he's that guy. Yeah. You definitely got to
0: appreciate the hustle from Keith Kirkwood. Uh, definitely someone to me. That's I think I've mentioned it before that stood out was just, the way he's carrying himself, the confidence he has right now going into this year, you definitely can see he believes in himself. I'm not saying he didn't before, but I, I think he's really confident in what abilities he can bring to this roster. I mean, to a certain extent, like, you can only believe in yourself so much if
3: you, you go through the stuff that Keith Kirkwood went through. If you remember, he went out to the Panthers with Matt Rule, who was his former coach at Temple, so there was a connection there. It wasn't random. He went out to, like, he, he knows Matt Rule was no longer there and he he was in his first training camp he got speared on a tackle and a non-contact practice he got speared in the helmet and he got hurt and you know that kind of ruined his preseason um and I think he was kind of on track to be a piece of that offense I don't know how important he would have been but I think that he was gonna be on that roster and they ended up cutting the guy who hit him like it was a dirty hit in a practice where you weren't supposed to hit someone and he got hurt and carted off the field and it's just that, you know, that's the some guys just have bad luck. And uh, so it's cool to see him back. It's cool. To, I remember I sat down with him at a, the Touchdown Club event last year, and he was like, immediately, I was like, do you, do you like it here better than Carolina? And he was like, oh, my gosh, I can't. I'm just so happy to be back here. Um, he just loves it here. Uh, and when you're a practice squad guy, when you're a guy that's kind of like floating around the NFL, trying to find a job, just being somewhere that you like to be, is a you know it's it's not it's a luxury that not everyone gets and so i got a chance to catch up with keith in a locker room this week and kind of talk to him about that so here's that interview
4: Thank you. yes sir yeah, yes how, sir i
3: mean how have you been how have these last few years been for you just generally it's got to be kind
4: of a weird existence yeah, it's, to be it's on and off the practice squad it's definitely definitely been a roller coaster um and i say a roller coaster because i've had so many ups and downs so many trials and tribulations i've been hurt been on the practice squad elevated off practice squad but just like I mentioned before, I'm just taking this year as a new opportunity to come out and show that Keith Kirk was able to display some good things this year to help this team go as far as we possibly can.
3: So, you know, just getting to cut down day, did, or did you feel confident going in that you had done enough to, to make the 53?
4: Um, I mean, I think that's everybody's goal is to make the 53 man roster, but you never know what happens in this NFL, in this business. I definitely feel like felt like I displayed a lot this camp to give me that opportunity or, or just to have the coaches have some more of a a good standpoint on who was going to make that 53-man roster, but at the same time, like I said, you just never know. So if it was me starting on practice squad, starting on the 53, whatever it is, I was going to fulfill my role to the best of my ability because I see something brewing here and I know we're going to go Pretty far.
3: Was there a point this camp specifically that, that kind of started to gel where you kind of felt like, was it those early morning lifting sessions or was it somewhere in camp where it just felt like, okay, this group is really kind of coming together?
4: Yeah, I think not, not just camp. It started way back in OTAs. Um, the very first day when I walked in this building, I had a mindset of trying to be the first in the building. And when I would come here, my expectation is, okay, I'm going to bump into the quarterback. And that's basically what happened every day. And I was able to build that trust um, from Derek Carr and that relationship just has built and grown and he trusts me as one of the guys on this team that if he can count on or if one guy misses up, he can always count on me. And that's what I love that I was able to fulfill that back in OTAs and just this whole team overall. Um, the way we competed in OTAs, I don't think there's another team in the NFL that has had this level of competition that's brewing right here in New Orleans Saints. So I'm just super excited for what's gonna happen this season.
3: I mean you've worked with multiple quarterbacks. Is that, that trust that you talk about, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of something that gets said a lot. But is it kind of a tangible thing? Like when you're out there, you can tell that he trusts you in certain yes.
4: situations. Yeah, and I think that's what you want out of any quarterback quarterback or any receiver, tight end or running back uh, quarterback you're playing for. You want to build that trust because there's, if if there's no trust out there, there's no point of you being out there with that quarterback um, because at the end of the day, if you're not that number one or number two read, well, he's counting on you that you're that third or fourth guy that's going to be in the right spot at the right time so that you know things don't mess up in the progression of the quarterback and we have a still successful offense so that's the goal at the end of the day is to build that trust from the quarterback so that he has the right guys out there so if there was ever a, a mess up or a screw up he knows he can count on those other guys to step up and fill that, fulfill that role I
3: can't recall if we've asked you yet but you yes. know that touchdown it feels like a month ago at this point because yes. it kind of was a month ago at this point but how, how cool was that, mm. that moment just to catch that touchdown? Yeah
4: it was, it was definitely one of the best feelings that I can recall because even though that touchdown doesn't and actually counting the stat books, um, that was my first touchdown since 2018 as a rookie being on this team. So, And not only that, it's just a, a beautiful feeling, like I said, building that trust with Derek Carr. And then that first read's not open, and I'm in the right spot at the right time. And the ball comes to me, and it was just such a beautiful feeling to have Derek Carr throw his first, not first, <laughs> but first touchdown in the Superdome to me. It was just so surreal. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Yes. Congrats
3: again. Thank you. Yeah. So that was Keith Kirkwood. I I do want to clean something up. I think if we're being literal here, I'm pretty sure that Keith did make the opening 53 for the Panthers in the 2020 season, but that was the year he got hurt and was placed on injured reserve before week one. And I think it was, it was one of those situations where you keep him on the active roster so you can put him on IR. There were weird IR rules at that point. But even then, he played one game that year and ended up going back on injured reserve because he re-injured his shoulder. So, yeah, I mean, call it what you want. This is really the first time that he has made a roster on his merit and being healthy and expected to play. But either way, you could hear from him there. One of the things that he talked about, and this is kind of what I was alluding to in the open here, is, you know, having the trust of your quarterback – means a lot more than than I think anyone who's never played wide receiver might realize it is. And if you go back to that touchdown pass, it wasn't just a touchdown pass in the Superdome. It was a situation like Keith talked about where the defense took the first option away. And so what do you do as a quarterback? Do you force the ball in? Do you pull it down? Do you try to scramble or do you go through your progressions and trust that your third read is going to be there? a guy who knows he's not the first or second read in the progression, and his job is to get to the right spot so if the quarterback throws the ball, you are where you need to be and you can get it because they can't take everything away. As long as everyone does their job, you should have something, and that's what that was. And I think, so to me, that touchdown in that moment from Derek Carr, it means a little bit more than just, oh, yeah, he caught a touchdown pass in the Superdome. It's an indicator of just how much Derek trusts Keith because he does stuff like that. Because when everything breaks down, Derek knows exactly where he's going to be. And you've seen examples of this. I think Randall Cobb with Aaron Rodgers is a good example of a guy who probably wouldn't have that long of an NFL career if not for being able to read De- Aaron Rodgers' mind. And being where he travels around with him now. He's on, the, he's on the Jets now because he can explain how Aaron thinks to the receivers and be like, guys, guys, guys. If you don't run the right route, Aaron's not going to throw you the ball and he's going to kill you. Seriously, literally, he's going to murder you in your sleep. Uh, Like, you know, Lance Moore with Drew Brees, I think, was a good example of that, right? Julian Edelman with Tom Brady. You will not convince me that Julian Edelman is an NFL wide receiver if not for Tom Brady. And so I think that when you're looking at who who is that receiver on this roster, like, you know, Mike Thomas is a star, you know, Chris Olave is a star, but who is that guy that everything breaks down and Derek knows that this guy's going to be where he wants him to be? It's Keith. And that's why I could see there being a situation this year where teams try to double Chris. They try to take Mike away. And then Keith just ends up with like three touchdowns in a game because you can't guard everybody. And Derek has no qualms about throwing him the ball in big spots. And so I'm I mean, I'm rooting for him. I hope, I hope he can stay healthy. I hope he can be a big part of this offense this year because there's no one who deserves it, I would say, more than Keith.
0: Yeah, you heard him talk about how that I want to be the first guy in the building and you expect mm-hmm. to see the quarterback there. So, yeah, I'm going to force myself to develop this chemistry with you because <laughs> I'm going to be the only guy around to work out with. And that's freaking fantastic. Right. Yeah, like, I'm going to
3: manifest this. Like, yes. you're talking about manifesting reality. Like, I'm going to manifest this into being. And, you know, it worked. You know, Derek talks about the same thing. It was like, yeah, like I didn't really know Keith. And then all of a sudden we have these 630 lifting workouts. And who, who's in the building? It's me and Keith. And we're constantly talking. And, you know, like, again, you know, talent is, is great. Talent can go get you a long way. But as a wide receiver, especially at that position, the position of wide receiver, you are nothing if the quarterback's not willing to throw you the ball. If he's never going to look your direction because he doesn't trust you, if you're Brian Edwards, you know, you're not getting anywhere. You have to and you have to do the right things to the point that he's under fire. He's sitting in the pocket. He's waiting to get lit up, but he's willing to go to his third read because he knows it's you and you're going to be there. And they're doubling this guy. They're doubling this guy. You know they can't cover everybody. Anyway, I I I think that he's going to have some moments this year where you're like, man, I'm glad they have him around.
0: Totally. Agree. He, like you said, he's not going to yeah. be this fantasy stud that, oh man, I got to pick up Kirkwood. But he, like you said too, it's like, it's going to be a week or two where, oh crap, Keith Kirkwood, four catches, two touchdowns, 80 yards kind of thing. And it's like, where'd that come from? <laughs> right, right. There's going to be a point this year where all of your wide receivers
3: are either hurt or on a and you're just desperate. You're like, who can I pick up? That is definitely available and has a chance to score a touchdown, to save my fantasy week so that yeah. I don't have a donut <laughs> and I have a seven or a nine and And I think he might end up being that guy like if there's a week, Michael Thomas isn't out there and suddenly you need an X. I think he's the guy. you know, it, I don't know what happens if Traquan gets healthy, whose role is who's, you know who gets the that, who gets the run, but
0: that's actually a good point right there. I was thinking. Could Keith Kirkwood be that guy that does that dirty work for you like the, and be that blocker? Oh, 100%. No, that's – that's a like, he's a big dude.
3: Like, right. uh, you know, it's he's – I want to say, let's see. What is he listed at? 6'3", 210. Like, he's a bigger guy. He can hold up in a blocking game. He's not as good of a blocker as Traquan Smith. I think people lose perspective on, like, he's like, oh, Traquan's a good blocker. Traquan is a great blocker as a wide receiver. Traquan is on teach tape around the league in terms of <laughs> – this is how wide receivers should be blocking. And you know, I don't think Keith is quite as good of a blocker as Drake Juan. But you know, it, it all comes down to reps and who do you think if it came down to it, Derek Carr trusts more right now? I sure, uh, my Keith. money's not
0: Keith. The guy there at 6:30 in the morning with him, right?
3: Yeah, again, and like that that his only Derek Carr has one drive to his credit in a live game oh. as a member of the New Orleans Saints. The touchdown went to Keith Kirkwood, and I think you know, it, it, he talked about it. He was like, it's, and "That's pretty cool, right?" Like, it's not really a touchdown. Like, it's not like it's going to be in the stat books. But he knows, he's, he knows that he Derek knows. He knows the first touchdown Derek Carr ever threw in a game in the Superdome went to Keith. And this has really just been a been a 15 minute, you know, love fest for Keith Kirkwood. Uh, but I think he deserves it. Like, no one talks about Keith. He just comes out and works. And uh, you know he was again. He's a guy who goes back to the Drew Brees days, right? Like he—that's wild, right? He knows what this team was like back when it was when it was a machine, and they were blowing the Eagles out like thirty-five to seven, right? Like when Mike Thomas was hiding cell phones in goalposts. He was here for that. Actually, I think he might have been gone for that one. I can't remember if that was twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen. Either way, he knows what this culture was like back when it was winning. And you know, there's not that many people you can say that about. Like a Cam Jordan, sure. Um, you know, Ryan Ramchek, yeah. Um, I don't I can't remember when JT Gray showed up, maybe 2018, I don't know. But you know, I think those guys are valuable. Um, even, even Traquon Smith, you know, he was here in 2019, 2018. The only player left from that 2018 draft class. Um, but yeah. But the
0: problem is obviously, yeah, we we've seen Traquin in and out way too often. Uh, that entire draft class. I mean, if you want to throw a draft class in the trash, holy crap.
3: Let me read it to you. And you yeah. can just cringe <laughs> at every name. I, I probably could name it offhand. I, the, the first one is obvious. I mean, the first two are obvious, but uh, I always forget the last few. They're just as bad. Marcus Davenport, number one, overall, Mr. Two firsts. Uh, then the next pick, because you didn't have a second round pick because you traded it the year before. Traquan Smith, the only player from this draft class who there are seven players who are drafted here. The only player still on the roster. Fourth round, Rick Leonard, an offensive tackle out of Florida state. didn't, he didn't make that out of camp. Did he? Make the 53. Right. Your fourth round pick. I mean, that's bonkers, right? Like, you can't be cutting your fourth round pick. There's so many players on the board that you're not even getting to camp with them. You know, I don't what? even know if that guy's in the NFL even anymore, honestly. I, I mean, what a bad pick. Yeah. I mean, you talk about, like, Ian Book. At least they gave Ian Book a chance. God. Anyway, continue. Notrell Damerson. <laughs> yeah. Fifth rounder. Safety out of Wisconsin. Cameron Moore in the sixth round. uh, Cornerback out of Boston College. And then another Boston guy, a sixth rounder, probably the best pick in this class. (laughs) Boston Scott, a uh, running back out of La Tech at number 206, I'm sorry, 201 overall. He ended up making the 53. Right. Then getting waived and sent to the practice squad. And then he was signed by the Eagles off the Saints practice squad. And has gone on to probably have you know, the best career out of, I don't know. Marcus has had decent, I mean, he, he hasn't been a star, but if if you only consider his games against the Giants, he has been a Hall of Fame caliber player. <laughs> and then the seventh round pick. Now, this guy has played in a lot of games for the Saints. Can you name him? The seventh round pick in 2018. We actually just saw him in the preseason. Now, who, who is it? I can't think of it offhand. Will Clapp.
0: Oh, he was the seventh round right. pick
3: that year. So you can't say they never draft LSU guys. That's right. <laughs> they never did. At least they do. They they will now. I'm sure. But uh, center out of LSU will clap. He's now on the Chargers. If anyone was wondering why why I mentioned that they saw him, that's the draft class. Can you? I, I mean, I don't think you can go back in Saints history. There have been some bad draft classes. I don't know if you'll find a worse one than that in terms of. Just whiff, 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 whiff.
0: You no, know, all, all those names make you, you know, remember some awful mediocrity. And like like I said, that Rick Leonard pick, I distinctly remember. I was like, man, he didn't even make it out camp.
3: Yeah, no. And, uh, you know, I, I, you look at this draft class and it's like, well, they didn't have a second round pick. So you can't blame them for not getting a good second rounder. But based on the other picks, they would have made the worst possible pick in the second round. (laughs) They would have took a third round uh, graded guy who, uh, you know, breaks his ankle on week one and then never plays again. Right. That's, that's the luck for this one. But I do I will say it came after 2017 where basically everyone was a pro bowler. So I think it was like a, you know, like when Steph Curry hits five threes in a row and then he's going to take a half court shot. I think that's what this
0: draft was. Man, that, that's just rough all around. The The Davenport pick, too, there were flashes from him, man. It just A guy with health and just was never the same after, well, I guess last year. Was last year the first year without the finger or no? Yeah,
3: that's when he kind of lost the finger. Um, but yeah, 21 and yeah. a half sacks
0: in his career. And just half a sack last year. Half a sack. Yeah. So he had Kirk 21 going and, into last year. <laughs> and the contract season, which was yeah. wild, right? And the contract year that the
3: Vikings really saw that. The Vikings did see that half sack. Maybe they only looked at that clip. I did think it was funny that someone put out a Marcus Davenport 2022 highlight reel, and it was just that one play oh.
0: on, on loop. <laughs> it's <was so> funny. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. Definitely interested to see what he does in his career now, but just never, never was able to put it together here, unfortunately. No, uh, and but you know what? This year looks more. Uh, uh, going off a different tangent, this year definitely looks more promising. Opposite Cam uh, with Granderson and Peyton Turner with that—that's a pretty lethal rotation. I like it. Yeah, well, that twenty twenty one draft class was looking was looking rough, but you know we'll we'll see.
3: If Payton can do something, then maybe you can you can salvage it. But right. all right, let, let's wrap up this segment. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about special teams. Obviously, this is a position and a group that has had a lot of upheaval in the last few days. Talk more to oh, Lou Headley. Two rookies, two UDFA's. Yep. <laughs> and we're so we're gonna get into more of that but also you know i want to talk about gunners i want to talk about all that we got to talk to darren rizzi this week He had a lot of interesting things to say so we'll get into that this is inside black and gold i'm jeff nowak he's steve geller if you haven't subscribed yet do that and stick around On inside black and gold uh and we talked about this in the last episode but steve wasn't here so first things first i want to get steve's reaction what what was your 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 kind of just like gut reaction when you heard that that both blake gillican and will lutz would be losing their jobs to udfas named
0: blake groupie and lou headley I definitely, I guess i apologize to Peter King because I thought his report was completely bogus and it turned out to be completely factual where the Saints were interested in trading a draft pick to Denver. To, well, the Denver was interested in sending the draft pick for a kicker. That ended up being Will Lutz, which made so much sense. Obviously, it says Sean Payton does know him. Uh, I didn't think he'd be going after the undrafted rookie and groupie I right, so you gonna give
3: credit to Peter King, but not to me, the guy who told you that's what's what is gonna happen? I, I, I guess because
0: Peter King had it in print. I guess I'm giving him the credit, but it, that it, seems unfair. It, it's just <laughs> it, to me, it was just wild though. They still decided to move on from the proven guy.
3: No, I mean I I, I agree with you. I didn't think that it was gonna happen, but I think where I kind of landed on it was if Sean's gonna trade a draft pick for a kicker, he's gonna want it to be the kicker he knows and right. My question, and I don't know if we'll ever get the answer to it, is whether Sean would have traded for Blake Groupie. Because is that the difference? when You, you have two guys who are very close to each other. And, you know, I, I, we, we, we all watched that battle play out in camp. And to me, the tie goes to the veteran, right? And so I would say that they were very close. I don't think that there was anything that either of them did to separate themselves from... Uh, the other guy. And, and to me, it was like, okay, if you're trying to win this year and this is not a rebuild year, then you're just going to go with the proven commodity. But what if the Broncos are willing to trade a pick for one of them and not the other guy? Does that factor in? I think it does. And you also save money when you keep Blake Groopy, you get a seventh round pick. So to me, I think that's, that's probably what kind of tipped the tipped the scale is, you know, you got a seventh round pick. And while, you know, <laughs> seventh round picks are kind of like you know pennies that you kind of chuck around and you know throw in the wishing well. Uh, I, you know sometimes they're Marcus Colson. So it's better than nothing, right? Yeah. And so if and, and if you were kind of leaning toward Blake anyway because you wanted to get younger, you wanted to free up some cash so that maybe you could go after a backup offensive but lineman didn't somewhere. That much money there? No, but. You also save money on Roby. You save money right, sure like going from Gillick into Headley, So it does add up after a while. And, uh, you know, Headley's funny because talk about getting younger. Dude's 30. Yeah. I talked to him this week about that. And, you know, I asked Darren Rizzi about this too. It's like, you know, you bring in a 30-year-old guy. It's like, it's got to be a unique situation for a coach. Like you're dealing, you're used to dealing with rookies. You're not used to dealing with rookies that were was were once a full-time scaffolder. And owns a tattoo shop, but you know what Darren said is basically it's like he never he never came in and was considered himself above the rookie class. Like it, he he did the whole rookie thing. He he came in as a mature version of a rookie player, and I think that that helps when you're trying to decide between these two guys. Like you know it, he, he endeared himself well to that coaching staff. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I really like Lou, you know, he's, he's a fun guy to talk to. We hadn't talked to him until this week. Um, you know, and, and I asked him about being a 30 year old rookie and it's, it's funny because, you know, I'm, I'm 33 and I feel like an old guy when I'm dealing with NFL players and we talk about Mark Ingram being too old. He's my age. He's the exact same age as me. Um, and you know, a lot of these guys who were talking about, man, they're so old are younger than me now I'm getting to that point. Uh, and so Lou, it's like, you know he's felt like he's 50 ever since he was in college, right? Like he's 24 going in there to Miami and all these kids are like, Oh my God, you're so old. So he's used to it. He understands how the whole operation is and he's just happy to get a chance. The rock is happy. He's got a chance. He, you know, the number 94 connection at Miami. That's why Lou wore that number. Um, He talked about that this week. The rock obviously called him out on Twitter. So that's, you know, that's a unique thing. You know, it's not a, not everybody gets a shout out from the Rock, uh, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, he's also got all those tattoos. One thing I learned this week is he, he he was asked how many tattoos he has, and he said that he considers his whole upper body to be one tattoo
0: because <laughs> it all connects. Um, anyway, yeah, he's uh, he's fascinating. But, yeah, definitely surprising to me that the Saints went this route on both because that's pretty ballsy having two undrafted rookies now manning your punting and field goal kicking duties. Everything was close during camp, and I know Rizzy even – kind of chided the media a little saying, I don't know where you guys got your numbers from, but they were completely wrong. Way off.
1: <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I don't know if I ever had this unique situation that we had this this uh, this offseason with, you know, four really, really good specialists. Obviously not including Zach, but I, you know, how I feel about him too, but no, just the kickers and punters. Um, so it was a really unique situation to have a bat. You know, I've had, I've been involved with battles for one. I don't know if I've ever had a year like this where we had kind of the competition that we had. And, and uh, I want to start off by saying I got really the utmost respect for for Will Lutz and, and Blake Gilligan, not only as, as players, um, but as people. And I think kind of what gets caught, you know, or lost in a moment sometimes is is the human element of the game. And you know, I've been around here out now, going on my fifth season here with the Saints, and, and obviously have a tremendous relationship with Will. I've known Blake for a long, long time, and so those are the th- those are, that's the part of it that's that's really difficult. And uh, as I told both of them. Uh, you know Will and Blake. You know they're one of the 32 best at what they do, and uh, and they're going to be kicking and punting, um, you know, for years to come. It was just a unique situation where we had, uh, you know, two rookies that, that really performed well. Uh, we had a battle in both in both ways, and so um, listen You know, starting with the the kicker specifically, you know, both those guys were 90 plus percent, uh, you know, from from the day that uh, you know we started off season, uh, and I don't know if I've ever seen that either with 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 two kickers. And the same place so we you know we chart every competitive kick i've seen some of your numbers by the way guys you were, you were way off um uh, but no we chart every competitive kick and uh and really those guys were they truly made each other better uh i know blake would be the first one to tell you that he, he learned a lot from will um, you know i know will is going to continue to have a great career um, and uh, and so it, you know again those are difficult decisions it's uh it made my job over the course, you know, whenever the off season started, uh, enjoyable. At the same time, it's it, it's a, it's a really tough when you come down to this week and have to make those final decisions. So.
3: It is. It's an emotional thing, right? Like both of these guys have been here for multiple seasons. I think Blake had a little bit less uh, of a mo- an emotional connection with the city. He's it hasn't been here that long, and he was replacing a guy who had about as as, as strong of an emotional connection as you can have with a place in
0: Thomas Morstead. Um, I'm sure you saw on Twitter said I, someone said, Oh, hoping you would come home to Miami. They were talking about after he was released uh, initially from the jets. And then Morstead responded just to be clear, home is new Orleans. I was like, Oh, right. No. Yeah. It's, it's a real thing. Um, But yeah. And,
3: and I think, uh, will's gonna be great in in denver and uh that's the thing it's like i think he's gonna be real good um and you we saw what his agent had to say i'm not a yeah. fan uh like well will hit all the right notes his agent was more scorched earth about it <laughs> and, I, and i understand why because will took a pay cut to stay right not like that like that's not nothing like he gave up money to stick around and then he got cut or traded on that contract so it's not like he gets that money back so, you know, I can understand why his agent was annoyed right? Cause that's money out of his agent's pocket too, not just will. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's something uh, either way. I think kind of going forward on the special teams topic, you know, I think this is a really good group of special teams players. And that's one of the things Darren Rizzi talked about this week is like the cupboard for special teams talent is really full to the point that you can do a lot of interesting things. One of the players that, I think is going to have a big role on special teams this year as a rookie is Jordan Howden. He had two tackles on punk coverage in uh, that, that opener against, or I'm sorry, the finale against the Texans. And they were impressive. I, wa- I watched back both of those clips uh, on the All-22. And on one of them, he's actually starting as the gunner on the opposite side of the field. And he works over, I think it's Adam Humphreys. I didn't even notice this in real time, but I noticed the tackle and he was like just shot out of a cannon. he wipes him out. Uh, I think Lonnie Johnson was the guy on the other side. And Jordan just flying from the other side of the field, comes in and makes a perfect tackle. Um, And, you know, I think he's a guy who is going to be a factor there. Um, And so I got to catch up with him this week, and here's what he had to say. How far have you come just on your own kind of evaluation because everything's going 100 miles an hour? For sure. I
2: feel like uh, your first year, you know, transitioning from college, uh, it is way faster. Um, You're with uh, a bunch of skilled players that are at the top level in each each of the positions. You know, everybody's fast and quick. Um, You just got to catch on quick and just learn from the people that's in front of you, ask questions. Um, I feel like that helped a lot as I got through and even I'm still learning as now. So, like I said, you go out there, you put on tape and just do your best and then learn and grow. So is there anything in particular that kind
3: of stands out like a light bulb moment getting into the NFL?
2: Um, I feel like just being around the people that've been in the league for a long time. Um,
3: uh,
2: it's a, it's just a different feeling when you get to be around the people that you've been watching for a long time or people that you just see playing on Sundays and you know, just actually being around them, see what they do and how they how they're able to stay in this profession for a long time. Um, I feel like that would help you once you move on in your career so
3: and obviously, as a rookie, you know, finding ways to get on the field, special teams—it's a big part of that. So you get two uh, punt tackles in that final, the finale. Is that something that you kind of clicking in that punt coverage?
2: Yes, because um, you know in college, it's totally different. Um, it's a totally different thing that you have to do. I just been with the coaches, special team coaches, and just been learning with them every day and each game I've gotten better and like I said, as long as I'm able to do that and be able to ask more questions, okay what what should I do, should I be more on the line off the line, okay if I'm in a vice what do I do here, so um, I feel like learning with the vets like JT and getting with them it has been helping me to go out there and just
3: play fast. Gotcha, is there any are you focusing on either safety position in particular or are you kind of just
2: working? Um, right now um, like even all camp uh, OTAs I learn both just in case so whenever somebody does go down like I know both so I don't it doesn't have to be like okay, he only knows this one spot. Then okay, so right now I I know both, but right now I think I'm pretty sure leaning more to a strong safety right now. So not for sure yet, but whatever they need me. So
3: so that was Jordan Howden, Saints rookie fifth sixth round pick out of Minnesota. No fifth round pick out of Minnesota. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think he he's a guy this team likes a lot. They obviously kept him around. All the draft picks made the roster. Um, one thing Rizzi talked about was situational gunners, which I thought was interesting. If they're on the going in punts, they might have faster guys. You know, sometimes it would be to see the wide receivers who are really quick and can get downfield and get those punts right before the goal line. Whereas when you're deep in your territory and you're trying to get, you know, you might get doubled on the outside. You want bigger, stronger guys who can fight through that and get downfield. And so you got, I mean, Lonnie Johnson, Hugo Amati, Jordan Howden, maybe a Traquan Smith, maybe an A.T. Perry. Like you have a lot of options on on those on those plays. And I think the Saints are in good shape.
0: When you mentioned earlier, too, the Saints had to be been drooling over Howden with his versatility. Uh, he can play the slob, both safety positions, uh, also special teams. That versatility factor, again, for Dennis Allen. I agree. And
3: I'll, I'll, I'll give you that that video here. Uh, let's see. Just, just for your edification. This is the play. So he's coming from the opposite side of the field. I mean, like, that's, that's impressive. You'll see it here. Like, look where he comes from. He splits his own teammates and then gets down. That's Adam Humphreys. Bonk down, locked in. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think he might, the angle he takes might be suboptimal in terms of, I don't think you want both gunners to be on the outside hip of a guy who's trying to cut the other way. Um, like, you know, your first job as a gunner is to get to the re- returner however you can. So, you know, in that sense, he's not responsible for being the contain guy. But I still think you'd still want him to be opposite. You know, you don't want both gunners coming from the, from the chase angle. Um, but he was able to just time it up perfectly. And so I think you probably want to see him kind of work his hips a little farther inside as he's making that because there are faster returners than Adam Humphreys. And if he does, get, if he does miss that, there is a long way that he could run to break contain and get to the opposite edge of the field. Um, but either way, yeah, you can see the ability there. Uh, and so, you know, th- there's a lot of intriguing young players. I think they've done a really good job the last couple of years of drafting and getting really athletic, strong prototypical sized players into positions that they can develop. Alante Taylor, DeMarco Jackson, even a guy who I think has looked pretty good this preseason So, you know, there's a reason that Darren Rizzi feels really confident about this group. And uh, that's 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 part of it.
0: Yeah, I forget the stat that someone put out on Twitter of how how much younger the Saints have gotten this season. It was it was Jeff Duncan. But when and the funny thing
3: is, they actually made a move that made them significantly older at punter. Right, right. They got five years older at punter, and they still got younger. So, yeah, no, that's definitely that's definitely true and uh yeah i mean when you're when your left tackle is is a second year pro you know that's 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 something they're still one of the older teams in the nfl uh but yeah they're definitely they're definitely getting to the younger side especially at cornerback
0: um at safety they're not Uh but yeah cam the oldest player on the roster right now i think right oh man that's putting me on the spot there let's see i'll look it up it won't be that difficult um I, th- I believe it's him, and luckily he's still performing at a high level.
3: Oh no, no, no! There is, there is another player that is thirty-four. So Cam and and this other player is thirty-four, and then there is one player who is older, and you should know who it is. I'm trying to think who's the same age though. Also defense.
0: Oh, I, uh, uh, Jimmy Graham's the oldest, I'm sure. Yeah. He's thirty-six. Okay. And then I mean, who's this- the
3: other one with Cam? Demario. Okay. And then Taysom is 33. (laughs) Taysom. Damn, I don't think of Taysom as 33. Wow. Well, yeah, because he's only seven years in it. Like (laughs) like Taysom is 33 in year seven. DeMario Davis is 34 in year 12. Derek Carr is 32. Tyron is 31. James Hurst is 31. Max Garcia is 31. Zach Woods 30. Mike Thomas is 30. Marcus May is 30. And then Lou Headley, the rookie, is 30. He's going to be in year five at age 35. But, yeah, so they got younger, but they still have a good number of guys on the wrong side of 30 in significant roles. So, you know, there is a balance that you have to play there, especially if you're trying to win right now. You can't just have all – like, look at
0: the Jets, right? Like, yeah, they, they weren't ready to win until they bought a quarterback. The the biggest one, you know, you're going through those – the names, obviously. Man, the Saints got to get something done so DeMario and Cam get their rings because – I mean, 30, we're getting to that point where there could be a drop off, although we have not obviously seen it yet from either one. I agree.
3: One other guy uh, that I'll mention that I talked to this week was Ryan Connolly. He got back to practice. Um, He was dealing with a knee injury. um, And it was originally thought he was going to be out a while. Right. I think he's played well. I'm glad he was able to stick around the practice squad. He was the doctors originally thought he was going to have to have surgery on that knee, but then uh, it turned out he was able to rehab it without surgery. So he's back and, uh,
0: was that the you know, one that Coach said that it was a significant knee injury? Was yeah. that
3: somebody else? Okay. Yeah, it was. It was him, and so it's good to see him back. You know, I, I talked to him. It, it's again with these veterans, it, it's really a matter of where they want to be, right? Like he could have gone somewhere else and went on a practice squad if he wanted to be there. He likes it here. Same with Jalen Smith. Both guys just wanted to be on this roster. That, you know, and, and we've heard that from a lot of people. Is like they, you know, there's the, there's a really good locker room culture this year. Like everyone feels like there is something really positive brewing with this group and that at a certain point, that's just kind of like, like yay, rah, rah, doesn't mean anything, but then at a certain point it's real and, and you have to acknowledge it. And I I'd like to think that that's the case this year. And we're going to start finding out this week. It's game week, baby. The rubber meets the road. So if it is all talk, we're going to, we're going to find out.
0: We'll find out very early on too, because I feel like, you know, we, we've talked about the schedule and how it shapes out in favor of the saints. Uh, I I think early on your toughest matchup might be week one at home against the Titans.
3: We'll find out, but all right, let's wrap up this episode of inside black and gold. We'll be coming back to you this week with more on practice updates. We'll get an injury report on Wednesday, and then we will dive into the Titans Uh, for the first time. We'll start talking about an opponent because I have not spent one iota of time, researching the Chiefs or the Chargers or the Texans. Um, but we do want to know a bit you, about... You have to spend time with the Chargers, though. Yeah, I didn't pay attention to them. <laughs> um, I was more worried about trying to find Jimmy Graham, wherever he was. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, so uh, maybe we'll be able to finagle a Titans guest this week and, and get kind of into what to expect from them because I, I don't really know that much about the Titans. I know about Derek Henry. I know about Tajay Spears. I know about Ryan Tannehill. Um, so we'll find out. But all right, thanks everyone for listening. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Noak. You can follow Steve at Steve Geller WWL. You can check out the latest Saints content at WWL.com and follow us on YouTube at WWL Sports. Steve, any, any parting
0: words for the uh, IBNG Faithful? Hope everybody has a great Labor Day weekend and be seeing you in the Superdome soon enough. Hope there's no labor on this Labor Day weekend. There always Unless is. You're- Unless you're due to give birth, in which case I hope there
3: is. That was a weird thing to say. I'm sorry. (laughs) 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 All right, y'all. Be easy. Peace.